0: under 50 dollars, it tastes like it should cost about three times as much uh and you can find it in most good wine shops in new york okay yeah
1: all right john is the wine guy of this business
2: welcome back to brand boost podcast i'm sorry for the cold You won't have to deal with that the entire time just through this introduction, but I do want you to listen all the way until the end because you listeners will have an opportunity to win some of Gary, Nate, and John's Empathy Wines. Uh, You'll have to listen to the whole episode though because John will explain a little bit on what you need to do to make sure you win that. Uh, Today's guests joined me. Uh, I actually was in New York City at the opportunity to sit down with John and Nate, two of Gary Vaynerchuk's business partners in the Empathy Wines Project. You may or may not have heard this is like uh, uh, the latest project of Gary Vaynerchuk's where they are delivering $40 bottles of wine, $50 bottles of wine for $20 a bottle. It is also a direct to consumer project, so you get these amazing wines from top tier grape growers. Um, but they're also kind of unsung heroes in the wine world. They're, they're not the big names. These are uh, great winemakers that you probably never heard of. And Gary is showing the empathy for the farmer, empathy for you, the uh, buyer, as well by bringing you the best possible value directly to your door. So John and Nate talk a little bit uh, with me about that before we get into this episode and you can listen for your chance to win uh, one little word from our sponsors what nate what is your back history on in the wine industry yeah so 30 seconds or less 30 seconds or
1: less oh boy uh so i was interested in wine as like an 18 year old 18 19 year old which is kind of weird and i randomly stumbled across wine library tv that gary was doing about 10 years <laughs> ago and i just sent him a random nerdy email saying i'm interested in wine can i work for you and he said, "Yeah, I come out to New Jersey, intern at Wine Library." But two months later, I was in New Jersey, found a dorm room, and uh, now we're here. Ten so years you, later. So you've been at Wine Library. I've been to Wine Library, and I, I pretty, pretty much lived there for a summer. Okay. Yeah. Wow.
2: That's. I mean, dedication, right? You need to like, you need to put yourself out there.
1: Yeah. So I mean, it's what he said. You know, it was a free internship, or um, found housing that was affordable. You know, I did very internee type things of doing inventory and peeling old labels off of cheese. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, hung out with Gary a few days. He liked me and worked hard and kind of followed his career after that. So what's your role now with Empathy Wines? Empathy Wines, I'm the COO, and so I'm dealing a lot with kind of back-end processes, logistics, vendor management, compliance, regulation, finance, that whole cool. side the, of things. All the fun stuff that makes yeah. the business go. Yeah, it's a team of three of us, so we kind of all do everything, um, but I focus more specifically
2: on those things. Cool, John, your quick history in wine, why you got into wine, or how you got into
0: wine, and then what do you do with empathy? Cool. Uh, my story is not too different from Nate's, so I uh, I finished college uh, during the recession. Grew up a family with a family that owned a restaurant, so I was always surrounded by food and wine. Uh, decided that if I wasn't gonna land my dream job, I might as well do something I loved. And so, I dove headfirst into wine. I uh, Had been studying to be a master sommelier. If you've seen that documentary on Netflix, yes. I wanted to be one of those guys. Uh, Pretty difficult. Yeah, right and luckily, <laughs> after a couple good Google searches, I found this crazy guy who was filming himself tasting wines on the internet. <laughs> Um, After a lot of tweets and a lot of emails, uh, I finally met him at a Boston Wine Expo in 2009. Um, Fast forward a few months later, and I picked up, uprooted to New York uh, with a nondescript internship that was offered to me. Um, Like Nate, wasn't paid, was (laughs) emptying my bank account in order to live in New York City. Uh, But I just had a gut feeling that I was gonna learn along the way, and hopefully it would be a springboard to something bigger. Yeah, yeah. Um, spent a few months working on various wine projects for him. Uh, I'll spare you all the details, but then I've spent the last eight years at VaynerMedia uh, before then us spinning off and, and starting this wine business. Cool. So Empathy Wines, what are you doing for Empathy Wines? Yeah, so with Nate, co-founder, um, a lot of what he's described, we basically are getting the business off the ground. So that's one minute's phone call to talk about legal regulation and making sure that we're doing everything by the book The next it's figuring out what's the best channel strategy to sell as much wine as possible uh, in a different way, which I think is important. So you decided to start this like a little bit different
2: wine company uh, doesn't follow the typical model. Right. Of Mm -hmm. normal production of Mm -hmm. wine and and distribution of wine. Why? Like what exactly what hole did you see that you wanted to fill with Empathy
0: Wines? Yeah. So without going into all the minutia, um, what I think a lot of people don't realize is that uh, the 1920s prohibition was introduced in the United States. So that made it so it was totally illegal to uh, to sell alcohol Um, when they decided to reintroduce alcohol into the U.S., they did it. Uh, in a very different way. And what that entailed was setting up uh, distributors in each of the 50 markets who would regulate and in theory make it safer um, with regulation uh, as a source for people to, to actually get that alcohol. Um, Really, fast forward close to 100 years later, what those distributors now do is they serve as an extra pair of hands in the channel uh, that takes the biggest markup along the way before it gets to retailers and wine bars and restaurants and then ultimately in your glass. We have found a a way to circumvent those distributors. uh, And what we've done is save people a whole lot of money in the process. Um, And the way that we're actually producing the wine is not just with the consumer in mind, but it's with the people that actually start at the very beginning, so the grape growers. Um, I think whenever most people pick up a bottle of wine here, they don't really realize how this was made, who are the people behind it, um, where did those grapes come from, um, and each of those people have a story, and we wanna help tell that story. So I've been making wine since I was four years old. Uh, It's family, Uh, we've always,
2: uh, not like, for sale, production for the family. We yeah. we drank it right, and uh, it's always been. But we we never grew enough grapes to crush, so we'd always buy from California or wherever. Yeah. Um, just talk a little bit about the process, because you guys have been to these farms to talk about the process. Mm-hmm. How intensive is the process to make? Let's not say one bottle of wine, but one one batch of wine. What is the what is the process that goes through? You know, at the farmer level.
1: Yeah, I mean kind of at, at the highest of level, because we worked on, you know, we were on, I worked at the retail side, John worked kind of on more of a platform side as well as like distribution side, and so we didn't really have much experience at all with the production side of things, yeah. so we've been learning a lot. Uh, That's good though,
2: it's, 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 a, it's a fresh, look at it right you're not looking at it with an antiquated
1: view and and to your question it's probably one of the things that caught me off guard the most about how many sets of hands go into making Mm. a single bottle not only like the harvesting of the grapes and like production of the wine but like the label and we I visited the label the label factory. Um and like the label looks fairly simple, but there was probably fifteen different decisions on the label that we had to make. Yeah. Um to see everyone that works at that facility and all oh, the, yeah. and all the machines that this one label has to go through is crazy. The cork, the bottle, the whole supply chain across a single bottle of wine is a lot of moving pieces to then get it together at the right time, at the right place, mm-hmm. with the wine being as it needs to be, get it in the bottle. It's just a very complex process to get Yeah, and make sure the, the wine
2: still tastes good when it gets to your glass. 100%, 100% right? yeah. My first job out of college was at a label making company who actually oh, wow. makes the labels on your essential bottles right there, uh, yeah. right now. But um, it is so intense. And that's just one piece of the puzzle, like you said, yeah. right? That's not even the... Corking it, and and the actual bottles themselves, and whatnot. Um, where, where do you think is the most expensive? Because you guys talk a little. You mentioned you know about logistics and supply chain. Where, where's the most expensive um, piece of that that goes into a bottle of wine? Like, let's just say this is a twenty dollar bottle of wine. Mm-hmm break that down for me, break down that $20. What is traditionally and then empathy wines, tell me how that breaks out.
0: Yeah, so the grape cost is definitely the biggest variable and it's ultimately uh, one of two big uh, variables in the quality of the wine. Um, so it's worth noting that all of these wines are, are from California. Mm-hmm. Um, where we actually get the grapes from are from places that people listening to this may or may not have heard of. So Lake County, Mendocino, Lodi, California, um, really the surrounding Napa Valley area. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we've been able to do is find some of the best vineyard sites and the best grape growers in those lesser known regions, um, partner with them to source our grapes and help market their personal stories. Um, And what we're excited about is the quality of those grapes is super high. I would say just as high as many of the top vineyards in napa valley and sonoma it's just that people don't know about them and so because of that we're able to provide a cost savings right Right. like they don't have the name brand that napa valley has and as a result we don't necessarily have to pay as much for the grapes we just had this conversation this morning
2: over breakfast about branding right commodities and this cup of coffee cost me 50 cents Mm -hmm. but starbucks or any other insert you know coffee brand here because of
0: marketing costs Mm So, yeah, I I mean, marketing is... You pay for marketing. Yeah, it's brand. It's all about brand. Um, And then I would say the the other variable, uh, aside from the grapes themselves, is going to be the winemaking. So once they come off the vine, you have to... Nurture them and treat them right, and put give them the right treatment in order for it to to yield a great bottle of wine. Otherwise, it turns to vinegar. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really excited. Yeah, <laughs> also useful, which, which also good somewhere. in a different way. <laughs> Not um, in the glass, though.
1: They probably don't want to spend you know two forty on a case of vinegar, but. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's true.
0: <laughs> um, so aside from uh, really doing a ton of homework and meeting with a lot of different potential grape growing partners, um, we also spent a lot of time on the production side. Um, so we landed a great partner, uh, a guy named John Wilkinson of uh, bin, bin Bottle. is the name of his company. Um, his business is quite literally helping people uh, make their wine at his facilities. Mm. Um, and so uh, he's worked with some great names over the years. He himself is an awesome entrepreneur. He has a great backstory. He was on the He was on the cover of a 1999,
1: some month in 1999, Entrepreneur Magazine. Oh really? He, um, he brought the, you know like the sumo suits, like the yeah, big yeah, wrestling yeah. suits, yeah. he like brought those into America. <laughs> <laughs> it's cra- It was a crazy there was, story. There was enough demand for that to bring to America? Or he saw the demand and <laughs> then it brought so them into funny. America, yeah. So he landed the cover of Entrepreneur Magazine And then he went to bottle
2: making. Is it bottle making? Uh, winemaking. Oh, yeah. winemaking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. you said he... Okay, so he facilitates the production of wine for any consumer. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so
1: winemakers can come into his facilities, use his facilities. And um, we actually got, as we were talking to him, uh, kind of by happenstance, he found kind of our winemaker who did a lot of one of the red wines that we really really liked um he made that wine in a previous life when he did the high-end wines at kendall jackson
2: oh okay. yeah so
1: it was kind of like a perfect fit for us so he's been there
2: he's he's been in that industry for quite a bit yeah our
1: winemaker's been in it for his entire career um and so he he's been overseeing the process of all the red white and rose um but with the red we're really excited about
2: so empathy wines, the red. So you're more excited about the red than
1: I'm. Most excited about the white. Um, I think what we're doing is really cool with the white. Right. I think it's a lot of different grapes that people haven't tried before. Okay. Um, in a bottle,
2: I think it's going to be really tasty. And they're all blends, right? Yes, they're all okay. blends. They're all blends. Um, I am a club empathy member. Yes. We signed Thank up. Thank you. Yes. Signed up day one, like the minute you guys yes. launched, because I said, you know what? It, listen, it's got to be good, right? Um, we've been the. We've been. Uh, what is it, Club Gary for from Wine Library? We've had that nice. forever, and like he's never sent a bad bottle. So I was like, all right, well, it can't be bad, right? And if it is, like, what did I really spend? So that's the way I looked at it. Yeah, You're I, gonna I, like I, it. I was excited about it. Um, first coming out is the rosé. The rosé in February, February March, of okay. 2019. How, yeah. So how did you guys decide to? All right, you, let's go. Let's just go to the launch time. Uh, you decide to launch with a red blend. Rosé, white, Rosé, white, red. Sorry. Yep. Uh, what was the you know like? What made you decide to do that? How was? How did you know that was the demand? I know Rosé is kind of hot right now, but like, what exactly went into like? Give me the thought process that went behind launching with these specific products rather than I don't know a specific red like a Syrah or a Cabernet. Mm-hmm. What
0: what like what was that? Yeah. I think we knew we wanted to make uh, a wine in each of the primary categories, so rosé, white, and red. Um, a lot of people have asked, you know, why blends? Why not yeah. Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc? Right. Specific na- grape name for for the for the white and for the rosé and for the red. And for us, um, it actually we probably took a playbook similar to that in Champagne, which I don't think people realize. Um, which is that every year in Mm -hmm. Champagne, they source grapes from a whole lot of different vineyards typically um, that are composed of different types of grapes. uh, And then they make the best possible wine based on what the year gave them. Um, Some vineyards are gonna be better in one year than the next. Um, Certain grape types are gonna have a better year than others depending on the vintage. Um, and for us, we said, how do we consistently, year over year, make the best possible product? And it's by following that same playbook. It's certain vineyards in certain years are gonna be better, and we wanna make sure that we showcase that vineyard. Um, and in the following year, it's gonna be a different one. Um, and so we wanna be able to, ultimately let the winemaking play a big part in it, um, to, to put together the best possible wine every year. So the blends
2: really, blends shouldn't get as bad a rap as sometimes they do? Definitely not. Yeah. If I so, if there was any wine I had to have in my aside from empathy, of course, um, in in my wine cellar, what am I looking at? Just should
0: I stock it full of uh, blends, or am I looking at specific grapes? So I think it depends on the person. Depends on where they are in their, like, quote, unquote, wine journey. Um, I think it's the best way, if you're just cutting your teeth and getting into wine, is to taste a lot of different things yeah. and start identifying the wines that you really liked, what you don't like. Um, and then ultimately, you'll start to be able to like hone your personal sure. palate. Um, I think in general, if there are like certain wines that... Um, people are gonna get familiar with, I'd say it's the textbook names, so. So your Merlots, your Cabernets, Sauvignon Blanc, whatever, those kind of things, okay. Yeah, exactly. Whatever
2: whatever you hear, you kinda go after, right?
0: Yep, start there.
2: Um, Somebody had asked, they had sent me a message and I I gotta look it up now. Wow, I'm sorry, I kinda remembered the gist of it. Um, They had asked me, you know, ask them, find out what wine I should start drinking and i was like well what do you mean i was like that's such a vague question mean what wine you start drinking i know nothing empathy about wines uh, i was like the guy so they so i furthered the conversation and i got out of them they've never had wine before mm-hmm. they have zero clue like no palate for it nothing like they don't have any idea and they want to know what wine like if there was any specific wines they should look for as like a starter complete starter noob knows nothing about it like couldn't tell you notes hints of anything um, I, I had kind of an in-depth conversation with mm-hmm. this person. I was like, "Yo, really? You need to get a lesson on wine first of all." <laughs> but um, where should they be? Like, what should someone like a complete new look for in a wine? How do they know what to like? How do they know? How does that? How do you, you know, touch
0: on that palate? Yeah, it's so. I think it's good to start with other foods and drinks and things that they enjoy because yeah. that can even be an indicator of the types of wines they should try. Um, so if You know, when I ask them, what's your favorite type of fruit, if they say I like citrus fruits and I don't like tropical fruits right away, that gives me an indicator of, okay, they might like this, whereas maybe they should steer away from this. Mm. Um, If I say, in general, do you like, you know, salads and more savory products over having a sweet tooth for, you know, dessert at the end of the night? Again, another indicator that I can help kind of like hone their palate a little bit, um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a reference point of oh I like cabernet over merlot it can mm-hmm. be what do you eat on a day-to-day basis and right. love and let me help you direct you from there There's a notion um,
2: I think it's I think it's true but the notion I grew up with from my father my grandfather they were always like wine you can't just drink wine by itself now I don't necessarily agree a hundred percent. I do believe that food tastes the compl- mm-hmm. changes the complexity of what you're what you're drinking. So for somebody who just likes to drink wine without food, like I, actually right there, uh, Blake, creative director, he he never um, he didn't drink wine that way, like mm-hmm. the way I did with food. It was like he just wants to sit back and enjoy it. Yep. And I, the first the first conversation I think we had about wine, it was like I was like, no, you have to have it with food. It's going to change everything the way it tastes mm-hmm. like. You have to. It is that. like How true is that, really?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's a, an interesting question, and I think American culture with wine is fascinating when you compare it to European culture and just any other culture, maybe outside of the U.S. market, where uh, I think beer and cocktails have been the thing that you drink when you're going out at night and maybe kicking your feet up. Uh, and a lot of people's familiarity or association with wine is only on maybe the Thanksgiving dinner table or you know, a holiday uh, festive event. Um, I think the fun thing for me over the last you know, decade or so while I've gotten into this industry a little is watching just the start of the shift in yeah. the way that Americans get a little more comfortable with wine culture. I think hopefully as it becomes less and less stuffy and the snobs of the world kind of uh, recede from wine. Yeah. Um, where now people are getting more comfortable and, and more uh, more accustomed to drinking it um, in other settings. I think uh, a lot of people bash the canned wine craze that's going on in America right now, but I actually think it's an awesome thing because it gets people thinking about, wait, maybe I drink this when I'm going out of my friend's boat, or maybe I drink this on the rooftop in Brooklyn instead of the standard vodka soda or the tequila drink I might otherwise have. Um, so there's no right or wrong. I think it's uh, it pairs great at a dinner table. I think that's one of the like the great joys of wine. But um, I think it's got a lot of different places in in your drinking repertoire. Do you have any thoughts on any different thought or any thoughts at all? Uh, for me,
1: I like. I mean, I, I think that has both places. I think yeah. wine with food. I think it, it can definitely. Enhance the overall dining experience for sure when you have the right wine with the right food. Um, but I'm, I'm a big fan of just opening up a bottle and having a glass without food. I think if you just, again, have to find kind of the right wine for that. Like, you don't want a super heavily extracted, big, you know, right. Napa nap cab drinking by yourself. But, um, you know, if I'll open a Russian River Valley Pinot, um, which is delicious, which by is the way, way, delicious. I did which get is that delicious in my Wine library, Uh (laughs) then I think that's great to pop and pour and just have a have a glass and watch a movie. So I think that's just all dependent on what kind of wine there is, what you're eating, and I think they both have their places. What do you kick back with? Is
2: that is that the one you you kick back with? Uh, uh, It's been
1: it's been funny. Like the first time me and John, so John was my manager at one of Gary's wine startups called Corked, which was like the Facebook of wine or trying to be the Facebook of wine, like eight years ago. Yeah, Something no, like that. So that's right. when me and John's relationship kicked off. Um, and I love Russian, Russian River Valley Pinot back then. I still do. Uh, um, but I think like Pinot's a great kind of wine to kick back, relax. Um, you don't really need it with food, but it goes great with different types of food. Uh, Pinot's probably where I, I stick there.
2: Big champagne Fanto. There we go. Oh, my wife yeah. would love that. She could drink it all
0: day long. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, John? <sighs> You know, it depends on the day. I think right, <laughs> <laughs> today's right now. Today's, today's
2: Tuesday. Yeah. T- Tuesday. It is a Tuesday. It is 1245.
0: Yep. Um, what are you drinking? I've been drinking a lot of... Uh, I've actually gone back to something that I had stopped drinking for a while, which is German wines. Mm. Um, so German Riesling, which actually... Too sweet for me. If I was going to... That's, you know... Oh, too sweet. If I was going to push people who are maybe listening to this... To try one wine, I think Riesling is an interesting entry point for that reason. I think Americans tend to have a little bit of a sweeter palate. Mm. I think it's a good entry way, and yet uh, the wines are very serious. So, just as like s- the German culture, very exactly. You were in Berlin; it was very serious, very serious. They That's take so sweet their yet wine. serious they take their wine very seriously. So uh, they go great with foods. Um, the good ones, as much as they might have a touch of sweetness, can have a lot of acidity to them too. So very balanced. All right, so you're going for a Riesling right now. It's Tuesday of, afternoon. It's mm-hmm. one of the few white wines
1: that age really nicely too. Yeah. So you know you can pick up a mid-90s Riesling right now that can still
2: show. I did not know that. See, I, I, I may reassess mm-hmm. my, I don't like white wine. I'm not a really a white wine guy, but maybe I am and I just don't know it. Just you haven't of... tasted empathy-wide wine yet. That's oh. <laughs> good. All right, we know, okay, we have to taste empathy. And we do have something special for, for those of you listening, first of all, we're not drinking wine, shocker, on this, oops, ow. Um, we're not drinking wine on this episode, unfortunately. These guys have to work. But we do have something special later, right, that John will talk about uh, for you listening. Do something fun. Right, we're doing something, we're still doing something fun? I think so, so yeah. We agreed? I like it, let's I'm do it. All right, all right, we'll do it, we'll talk about it after. After you right. um, I just want to ask some questions about wine and food, and I don't know everything else mm-hmm. possible. Uh, I don't know. I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> I looked at you, huh? Yeah, twenty-five. Oh, okay, all right, good. Um, when when you guys launched this, and we uh, like my wife and I were talking a little bit about it, and we were saying, you know, this is an interesting For- foray into kind of like this direct consumer. Um, what what's the Where's the craze right now with direct? To, we, there's a lot of. I, we're going to step a little bit away from why and more mm-hmm. about branding and, and yeah. things like that. Uh, this direct consumer craze is huge. Like, everybody, not everybody, but there's a lot. You know, we see on Instagram too, there's all these like random brands popping up. Mm-hmm. Like, just they're mostly like Chinese goods that someone's just throwing a brand on and, white labeling and, and they make it look really cool. Yep. And then you order it, you're like, oh man, I got sucked in. That that ad sucked me in. I know because I get tons of boxes at my house. Mm-hmm. And it's all like, Toby's from China. It's like falls apart. I'm like, oh, they suck me in. What, like, how did you want to stand out from that? Or how did how did you choose to say, like, we don't want to just be any random direct consumer brand that doesn't really care about their product? I know the name of the you know the name of the brand is empathy, but like in a in a, vir- in a you know in a world right now where you can really label yourself as anything, mm-hmm. how do you choose to stand out? Like truly stand out from the re- you know from the crowd?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for us and kind of what Gary's done his whole career too is is storytelling and actually telling the story behind the wines and how we did it. Um, You know, I think when we were thinking about this brand and actually how to do it and bring it to life, you know, we could have gone the route of buying bulk juice on the market Mm -hmm. and putting it in a bottle and slapping our label on it and going just the complete marketing, paid media side of things and customer acquisition and buy bulk juice and build a a brand that way. But we didn't, we wanted to have a really authentic story. We, we wanted to have our hands in the winemaking process um, and make a product that we could stand behind. You know, yeah. We are saying it's a $35, 40 $45 bottle of wine depending what liquor store you're shopping at and we're gonna ship it to you for $20 to your door and we needed to have the story behind it and the actual the actual data behind it to support that. And so it was important for us to not just be a DTC brand that you know makes a quick buck on Instagram, right. but built something that we can stand behind and tell that story and produce a lot of content behind that story.
2: You know, you, the narrative that I've heard is it's a $40 bottle wine shipped to you for 20 bucks. Like you mm-hmm. just said, what makes this a $40 bottle wine? Why is it $40?
0: Yeah. It goes back to the two things I mentioned before, so the cost of the grapes, uh, and then the actual winemaking. And that's Uh all-inclusive from the winemaker himself down to the materials we're using, so things like the barrel. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, when we arrive at that kind of like $40 price point, um, that's as if it's going through the standard, what they call three-tier distribution Mm -hmm. process. So it goes from the winery to then those distributors, then to the retailer, and then ultimately it gets sold to you. Uh, because we're cutting out two parts of that equation so the distributor and the mm-hmm. retailer it's it's really the e-commerce model that allows us to sell the wine at such a low price point what kind of
2: reception are you getting in the wine industry cuz i don't like you know let's go back when gary you know because you mm-hmm. both mentioned wine library yeah. when gary started doing wine library people in the wine industry were like who is this idiot <laughs> making you're you're cheapening the wine industry mm-hmm. right like so and of course we're, we're also talking about like there's canned wines and boxed wines like there's things that have cheapened wine before I'm not saying yeah. this it has but yeah. w- are you facing an adversity what like are you hearing any rumblings out there in wine and what are that want like I want to hear like what's the craziest thing you guys have heard
0: so far yeah it's the reception has been pretty positive overall um, at least the haters have remained quiet I think <laughs> um, I think a lot of people when they especially people in the industry that have kind of know the business Um, when we tell them a little bit about the model and kind of what we're trying to pull off a lot of them say hey more power to you if you can do it Mm. I think for them it's it's really 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 difficult to um, think about a world where it's done differently when this is the way wine has been sold the last hundred years right Um, in the same way that you know when travis of uber or when the founders of airbnb initially pitched their idea 10 years ago people would decide are you crazy i'm going to get in the car with a stranger and they're going to drive me down the street like that sounds you know in a 1999 world that sounds far-fetched now it's a daily occurrence yeah now it's like i'm just gonna uber yeah Yeah. exactly yeah second agent right um no not to say that we're gonna build to the scale of Uber, or that our ambitions are necessarily that big, but uh, I think in the same way, we just want to kind of flip the script of the way wine has necessarily been sold in order to deliver a better product to consumers.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would say the, m- the most challenging thing to date, and kind of what we've heard, is that wine's a very experiential thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't have a finalized product yet, the rosé is shipping in March, and so You know, people want to experience wine. They want to taste it. They want to have a glass before they commit to you know three, six, or twelve of any specific wine. So, um, we're not naive to to that fact, and it's something that we're going to be really focused on in 2019. Of a lot of experiential marketing, tastings, really allowing a lot of people to experience the brand and taste it. So, I think that's been the one thing that's been caused a little bit of like skepticism of like. You know, I don't know exactly when I'm buying it, but I have a lot of trust in Gary's palette and the story and everything behind it. So um, it's something that we're definitely focused on for 2019 for if sure. If I don't
2: know Gary though, like there's probably mm-hmm. a lot, there may be some listeners on this that have no idea who he is. Yep. Why would I want to why would I want or care about empathy wants? Why, you know, what's gonna make me spend Seven hundred and twenty dollars, or whatever it is for, you know, club empathy. What's really the value there? Just the wine value, not the fringe benefits, because I know what the fringe benefits yeah. are. Just the wine value. Like, where do I? Let me let me hang on something. What is that?
0: It's yeah. not Gary. Yeah, it's uh, quality of the product itself. So, the actual uh, cost savings that we're providing to people and. Quality for that price, uh, and convenience, right? The the idea of having wine shipped to their door and and uh, not having to step out every single time you have a, sure. a dinner party or an event to serve. I think those are the primary benefits. Um, I think in, uh, inevitably Nate's point, like the quality will need to speak for itself once they taste it, right? right? So. Uh, in 2019, I think doing tasting events and, and parties uh, in different parts of the country and giving people a chance to actually experience it first and foremost, so that uh, try so before they buy. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna play devil's
2: advocate. <coughs> My wife knows; she she loves <laughs> both of them actually. Blake and Amy both love when I do this. If this ships, people hate it. What happens? People say it tastes terrible. This is disgusting. Yeah. Like, what
0: do you do? It's a big question. Um, you know, I think wine is a subjective thing. I think where a lot of people are going to say, "I love this wine," it's you know, I'm over the moon for it. I think there are a lot of people on the other side who might say, like, you know, what this wine just isn't for me. Um, I think we would hate to lose a customer. We sure. would hope that they would stick around and kind of, if they don't love the rosé, try you know, hang on and try the white. Um, the rosé will make a, for a great gift for your friend who will like it. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it's like anything, it's it's a subjective good, and so um, while well, we hope we're appealing and, and can satisfy 95% of the market, there might be a small percentage that say, you know, it's not the favorite thing I've ever tasted. Wait, and
2: you said, so you said 95%, mm-hmm. what is the percent? if you put this bottle in front of 100 people, how many will say it's great, how many will say it's bad, and then how many will just be like, eh?
0: Not to dodge the question, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I can any answer bottle, the not question. Just energy, yeah, like
2: any bottle of wine. What's yeah, the, is there a breakdown? Like, 50, yeah. is it like fifty-fifty split? People, is it truly just? I think like, subjective. Like, like
1: honestly, I think you can put this the same wine in front of someone at two different times, depending on what situation they're in, or yeah. or even what they're eating. Like they could have a very different opinion about that same bottle. Um, so I think I think it's hard to put a percentage behind that. Um, I don't know.
2: How much does price affect someone's oh. like ad, adoration of a particular bottle or vintage? Like what, you know, this is this is $20, yeah. it's terrible, but then if I just tell you it's
0: 300, all of a sudden it's, wow, this is the greatest mm-hmm. one I've ever had. I mean, how much does that come into play? Yeah, uh, a ton. It's It's been f- fun to read, and I can send a bunch of studies over, but there have been a lot of- I like of, studies. Uh, there have been a lot of scenarios where they'll have uh, two people taste the same wine. They'll say, okay, this first wine is $10 a bottle and this one's 100 and they're literally the same glass, and the people are like, well, the, the $100 wine is exquisite, this is just delicious. The $10, I didn't like it. Um, and so it's, it's just funny to watch those control studies done. Um, it definitely plays a big part in the consumer psyche and the consumer psychology of, uh, of what they're drinking.
1: Yeah, I mean, price kind of price ties into brand, right? You know, mm-hmm. and so if uh, if you assume that this brand is an expensive brand, yeah. you know, you're you're automatically going to perceive it as something of higher quality,
2: right? Right. Um. So with with these wines, could you have realistically charged that 50 dollars and gotten it if you went tra- like traditional model? Do you think like would that have worked? If we went traditional model. I, and, I mean, I guess and it would have added just just based on. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I think, so we've worked at VaynerMedia for you know eight years, pretty much full time, and I think we started when the agency was around 30 people and left when it was like <laughs> 700 people. So we've seen a ton of growth, and what we saw with a lot of brands and just where the marketplace was going was a lot of huge Fortune 100, 500 brands wanted to get more into this direct-to-consumer world yeah. as all these smaller niche brands were coming up, and it's something where you know, me, John, and Gary were like, we can do this. Like, why don't we do this in a in a field where we all have some passion and expertise in? And so this was kind of like the most logical place for us to to start this business. Um, and it really wasn't like, we we had a lot of thought behind the $20 price point and what we wanted sure. that to be. We kind of saw there was like probably two different groups. Again, we're not naive to the fact most wine, I think over 90% of wine in America's bought for under like $13 a bottle or something along those lines. So a huge part of the market is under that $13, $12 a bottle. What we really wanted to do was say, you know, this is a $35, $40 bottle of wine. If you can spend, you know, five, six more dollars a bottle, you'll have that huge mm. kind of delta of quality that we're getting you. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you know, if you're a super premium wine drinker, which is defined as what, over 40 bottle yeah it, like the super premium right. field that you know we're making a wine that you could pop and pour at any kind of um dinner event or party or have a really quality house wine that you can rely on that again is that 40 dollar quality that you can again save you know 20 bucks a bottle okay um, so those are kind of the two different things where we intentionally chose that 20 dollar price point and worked back from that of how can we make a $40 bottle of wine using the grapes and the processes and everything around the wine making to get it to them for 20 bucks.
2: Cool. So you got that, that's a perfect price point. Uh, Last question before I go into a quick little uh, uh, user, user uh, ask questions and then then we'll talk about our uh, little surprise we have for everyone. Um, Could a traditional winery, any of the Napa, Could they go to this model? How easy would it be for them to go to this model and undercut their own product? Yeah. So you worked on the distributor side of things, so you know this one.
0: It's not to remove myself from wine specifically, but I'll say with consumer packaged goods in general. So all of the VaynerMedia clients from Unilever and Mondelez right down to the wineries in Napa Valley there's enormous channel conflict for them. So the second where uh, a big-name Napa Valley producer starts to try to offset its sales and and sell more DTC, the second those retailers and distributors are gonna get very frustrated with them, right? And they'll say, cool, you don't wanna sell as much of your wine Mm -hmm. to me after I've been a great partner to you all these years? Well, I'm gonna go work with the other winery down the street. And so for them, it becomes channel conflict. For us, by starting exclusively direct to consumer and not partnering with any of those other retailers or wholesalers, um, we kind of have the leverage where we can say we we have a direct relationship with the consumer. Um, It allows us to make the best possible wine and sell it at the price that we think reasonable. Um, rather than having to get into those politics. Yeah. Um, it's something that we see with all of these Fortune 500s that try to say, I, w- I don't wanna be so reliant on Walmart and Walgreens and Target and I wanna sell DTC. And it starts to burn a lot of bridges right. with those big buyers in theirs.
1: And wineries are trying to learn how to sell more DTC. It's more money in their pocket because the, the price they're selling their wine direct to consumer is the suggested retail price that you'll see in a lot of stores around the country. And so, if they're a fifty-dollar bottle, but they decide to sell for thirty dollars a bottle right. from their winery, uh, they'll have to lower everything else. Like you couldn't, like no other retailer would want to carry it. So it, I don't, we don't see that as something that's that a that's a, a that's, a, that's right. a threat or a challenge. I think that wineries definitely want to sell more DTC, but it, it can't be in the same model of, you know, getting you. A, their wine for a much better price.
2: Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all very I mean, it's fascinating to me because of how, you know, everything is changing. You know, there's it's yeah. we're not seeing traditional models anymore. Mm-hmm. And so to me when when you guys dropped with, you know, empathy, I, uh, I'd speculate that's what it was. It was like his Gary's own <laughs> uh, wine label, but uh, and it's the perfect name, right, for for him. Um, but I, I just think it's it's just it's so fascinating how things are changing and how these traditional di- distri- you know distribution methods for any product, they're just I mean some of them don't exist anymore yeah. in certain industries and you don't have to make a name for like in order to be a CPG, um, you know, d- uh, a manufacturer years ago like you had to have that distribution mm-hmm, you couldn't yeah. get in a wall you yeah, know you couldn't sure. get to the face of the consumer <laughs> yeah. now we have so many things at our disposal just to get in front of anybody. We can lie and make up, you know, our own label and be like, we're selling this, and no one will know the difference. Because I actually think it's a legit it's company. What, so. it's
1: where so many industries are going, like self-publishing. Yeah. I worked on one of Gary's yeah. books, and publishers basically just make a book now. You know, the marketing, the the marketing is so different, and those industries just can't catch up. It's the same thing with distributors. Uh, the thing about the wine industry is just it's so heavily regulated and formatted that to play outside of those. Uh, constraints. You have to do something very different.
2: Yeah. So for those listening, you can build brand equity by telling a great story uh, and and building a great brand uh, behind the product. Uh, You don't have to let it discourage you going through traditional methods. If you don't want to, you really can uh, put in your passion. But these gentlemen worked really hard before they just jumped into that. So don't just jump into something you know nothing about or you don't have any passion about. Uh, It's very important to have that. All right. So I'm going to name five foods you're gonna have to give me, this, these were from some of my listeners, oh. five foods, what wine, give me a specific wine to go with. Don't just tell me like, you know. You're a part of the club so we can give you these answers. <laughs> Don't give me all <laughs> club empathy member. <laughs> yes, you, you should. Who do I, I text know. when I uh, SM uh, Psalm here? Is it? Uh, uh, her, her name's Nora. Oh, it is Nora. Always oh, yeah. Nora?
1: We, we get the text messages, but Nora's usually the one responding. Okay.
0: Yeah. Is she, is she a SOM? She is. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Spent a lot of time at 11 Madison Park. Uh, the Lobster Club, Maialino, so some of okay. New York's top restaurants. She's got some
2: legit recommendations. I, I, she, I had, she knows her I text stuck. her about first Thanksgiving wine, and she gave me some good recommendations. So. Nice.
0: Awesome. All right.
2: First, French fries.
0: <sighs> French fries. I sound like a broken record here, but this would champagne. be... Champagne. Yeah. This <laughs> would be my death... In fact, it would be my deathbed meal would be a plate of French fries and a bottle of champagne. All right. which bottle, yeah. What champagne then? Uh, if, oh, specific champagne, yeah. 1996 crude clothing menil. I've thought a lot about this. This is the. <laughs> all right. I
2: feel like I should have led with that question then. Yeah. This was a,
0: you teed it up perfectly. That was wow. great.
2: Wow. Okay. Yeah. All
1: right. I, I'm just going to fast follow on that one and
2: just, all right, drink my last meal with John. Yeah. I, I'm hanging out with John too, if that's my last yeah. meal, apparently. Yeah. Um, barbecue. So, like a brisket sandwich with coleslaw and uh, some sort of tangy
0: Carolina barbecue sauce. Uh, Zinfandel, so a grape that's native to California, uh, has just like a touch of sweetness, which a lot of the time, a red wine that can have a little sweetness to it um, that I think goes really well with kind of the the sweetness and tanginess of barbecue. Um, Great pairing. Okay. Anything different?
1: Um...
2: You can totally just, just rely on his keep, Just keep if fast you want. falling. Yeah.
1: I would say, Zen's a good answer. A Malbec would huh. be nice too. Okay. You can find a lot of good ones for good like prices Malbec. too. Yeah,
2: nice and dry. Not too dry, but dry enough. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> venison. venison. Champagne. Champagne, I'm just kidding. Don't say champagne. You can't can't be champagne. Mate, can't you got to lead us off with this one. Venison,
2: venison, or, or any game. The, the specific question was venison, but I guess it could be any type of game. Although venison's not as gamey as some of like mm-hmm. someone to ask me. Elf I'd probably go too. into Trouty's wine
1: fridge and pull out something from Burgundy.
2: <laughs> something really like.
1: Charlie, which burgundy should I pull from your wine Something fridge?
0: Something earthy and kind of yeah. yeah. It depends on how not to get too too nuanced. <laughs> depends on how the venison's being prepared. <laughs> I mean, but, that, you that's know? fine. That's a totally <laughs> acceptable answer. Okay. Right? But I like I like where Nate's going. Burgundy, Pinot Noir, from France. Okay. Works all day long. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you said the word
2: France because the other next question was escargot.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: So, oh, good question. I think. Uh, Chenin Blanc. Champagne, Champagne. I'm just kidding. Champagne. Uh, Chenin Blanc, it's actually a white grape that will play a big part in our white wine blend, Uh, but it's grown in a lot of of different parts of the world. So California, South Africa. I'd say South African Chenin Blanc. Good value, (laughs) $15 bottle, you can get really, really good stuff. Chicken Parm. That's the last one.
1: I guess we can keep it in Italy. Some sort of super Tuscan, Barbaresco would be where I would first look at the wine list there. That's where be going. going.
0: You you disagree? No, I like it. I like his first answer, I think. Brunello and or Chianti Classico would be great. Sangiovese. If it grows together, it goes together. That's a good rule of thumb. Uh, I like that. If it grows
2: together, it goes together. Yep. Very nice. And on that (laughs) note, I want to have you gentlemen... Where can we find Nate? Where can we find John on the internet? So how can people connect with you if they want to? Trouty on Instagram and Twitter. By the way, that handle is just fantastic.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it frustrates me that he has such a good handle. Trouty. (laughs) You're about to hear mine. Oh, on Instagram, it is N-S-C-H-E-R-O-T, which is just not easy. It doesn't roll off the tongue. It doesn't roll off the tongue. But I am Nate S. on Twitter.
2: What am I drinking with... Trout. If I'm if I want to uh, have some trout on my plate, what am I Are drinking? You're drinking
1: with trout, or you're no no eating no trout not with
2: trout. trout. I'm 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 having a meal, a plate, and on my plate is trout. Oh, interesting. Um, he can't answer, so he can't say champagne. <laughs> <laughs> trout, he says champagne. Um, I would probably say
1: some Chablis. Okay, some Chardonnay from France. I've had some
0: Chardonnay from France. I like it. I'll yeah. drink. I'll drink and eat with you, Nate. Yeah. I like it.
2: So if you've been listening this long, you may or may not know, there is a surprise at the end of the episode. I'm going to let John um, talk a little bit about what that is and and, uh, hopefully you guys all partake in this. Oh, wow. All right. So, John, I know you have something really, really special for the listeners and those who are following uh, me or maybe following these fine gentlemen uh, on Twitter or any of the internets. Uh, And if you like wine, you might want to listen
0: up. If you want to give gifts, listen up. John, take it away. So we named the brand Empathy Wines. Empathy is a really big word and it's a word that means different things to different people. And so with that, we wanted people to using hashtag what empathy means. So use hashtag what empathy means on Twitter. Tell us what it means to you. So what empathy means. Hashtag And tag empathy wines, right? And tag empathy wines. We're gonna pick the three best tweets and give them a three-pack subscription of our first year of wines. So if you wanna, go ahead. Oh, oh yeah, sound effects, yeah. Shh.
2: If you want to try these awesome wines that uh, these gentlemen have been talking about for the last 45 minutes or so, uh, the red, a rose, a white, three-pack subscription you said? Three-pack right? subscription. So three bottles of the rose, white, and red,
1: so, and then some, uh, have to be older than 21. <laughs> And oh, a, yes. And, 21 and over. 20s. 21 and over. trick responsibly. Yeah. In the US. And there's about seven states that we can't ship to. OK. Uh, Arkansas, Alabama, Mississippi, Delaware, Rhode Island, and... Kentucky. 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 Well, fuck those states because no one <laughs> cares about those. <laughs> uh, and so winners will, need be, winners will need to be
2: over 21 and have a shipping address not in one of those states. Perfect. All right. So we'll t- select the top three tweets. Hashtag Empathy Wines, tag Empathy Wines. Let us know what empathy means to you. Actually, hashtag what empathy means, right? Um, And let's uh, let's do something fun. I want everyone that's listening, of course, unless you're in one of those states and you can't have it anyway. (laughs) But if you wanna let us know what empathy means to you, they're more than welcome to, we'll send you a sticker. How about that? If you get selected, you'll get a sticker. I can ship to a friend or family member. There you go, perfect. So everyone can jump in on this one. Gentlemen, I really appreciate you jumping on the show for a little bit, talking 45 minutes about wine and and empathy and and just really like, this is awesome because I think this could change the game for a lot of people that don't know enough, but it can also change the game for those that just want sim- simplicity right in their life. And the faster life moves, the faster these types of brands I think are gonna grow and, and really the possibilities are endless. Awesome, Thank thanks you. for having All right, us. Take it easy.
0: Cheers.